0: I'm Joe Savedra. I am the founder and CEO of Infinite
1: Objects. I'm Sudhir Reddy, head of engineering at Esper, as well as the host of this show. There's a device for that. I'm super excited to talk to you because I'm so thrilled by uh, what I saw in the product and things. Thank you, Joe, and welcome on the show. Hey, before we go into a lot of the your design and technical abilities, I wanted to quickly ask you about one. So how did Infinite Objects come about? Give us a little bit about of your history. What was uh, it that brought you here?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I moved to New York City for uh, grad school in a long time ago now, 2008. And uh, that was a program called MFA Design and Technology. And In that program, it was very much a mix of engineering, both hardware and software engineering, but always with a slant towards design, art, creativity, a lot of interactive threads running through the entire uh, program. And I really got into programming both on the software side as well as hardware development and that really you know i learned pcb design a lot of electrical engineering and when i finished the program i did kind of two two things at the same time one i I started teaching uh, and so i was actually teaching full-time for a number of years and then adjunct for even longer and at the same time, started a, a kind of my own uh, creative practice where I was developing different ideas, different experiments, a lot of it for clients, but then a lot of it just because I was excited to be building things. I love uh, building things. And at the time, you know, we're talking about 2010, 11, 12, Internet of Things was really hot. And so was the maker movement. I don't know if you remember the maker movement, Make Magazine, and and all of that. And so, definitely that time I was just experimenting and building constantly. And it was a a really exciting time. I loved connected devices and I loved what it meant to be creating inputs and then thinking about what those outputs could be, whether that is data visualizations or whether that's controlling something on the other side of the world. Yeah, it was a fun time. And and I started a, a company doing this kind of stuff for experiential marketing is what we call ourselves in terms of what what our domain was and we've worked with huge brands bringing interactive installations projection mapping very innovative kind of ideas but all to sell shoes for Nike, or we did naked juice, huge installations and and activations and uh, Twitter and Google A lot of the tech sector. Also, we partnered with uh, so many of those companies. And what I realized is if I want to be really innovating and, and kind of putting all of my, my kind of heart and soul into these things, I don't want to be selling, you know, soda or shoes. I would much rather be building things for people. I would much rather my clients actually be customers. And so I decided to fully focus on consumer product and left that project and and started working with a small product R&D studio here in New York. And one of our biggest partners was a company called Giphy. Giphy is a GIF search engine that um, later was acquired by Meta and We were doing experiments that were just all about how we consume, how we create, how we experience moving image content, right? And moving image content and video specifically at that time, and now I'm talking about 2016, 2017, is how we express ourselves. It's how we tell stories. It's how we remember things. And it's how we sell things. And when you look at that time, TikTok was just starting to like just totally take off. Instagram stories, I think was uh, introduced around that time as well. And it's just very clear that this generation, you know, Gen Z and, and I'm a millennial, but it's very clear that video is so important to our lives, but is never treated with the kind of respect from a value proposition, from a collectability approach the same as you know, photography or prints or posters have been for literally a century, right? Video is something that you experience on your phone, on your laptop, in an app, in a browser, on your TV. It's always on some kind of utilitarian device, and the kind of most you can do with it is double tap to like or you know swipe uh, past it. And it's just very obvious that there is a huge opportunity to think about video as something that can be monetized and that can be celebrated much more than just a a double tap or a swipe. So that was the impetus. And and in those experiments with Giphy, like I said, most of it was software and and kind of app. We released a lot of different experiments, but I started pitching them on some hardware ideas and thinking about a physical body for a digital content. And that was the initial spark that kind of led to the prototyping that resulted in, in what Infinite Objects is today.
1: It's amazing when I talk to innovators who bring their passion and bring the things that they've learned in school and then their passion for solving specific problems for end users, all of that comes together and you have this amazing innovation. It's it's always fascinating and awesome to see. Before I go delve more into the company and what you do, and I also want to go into your design philosophies and some of those, just quickly about you. Tell me, what was your first experience with an electronic gadget or a thing that you can think back and go, oh, you know, that that influenced your life?
0: Such a good question. So my, my parents, they are immigrants. They came from Lima, Peru. I'm Peruvian. All of my extended family is back there. And they, you know, Grow, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, at least for, for my childhood, and it was really... Um, obviously, everyone loves toys, right? Everyone loves toys, and everyone loves uh, kind of watching cartoons. And one of my favorite cartoons was He-Man. You remember He-Man? I, I, I remember, remember
1: He-Man, yes. Yeah. And, I remember and I remember
0: having this He-Man sword. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, and, I used uh, to have one sword. of those myself. No, come on. Yes, exactly. So the sword you would hit it and it would light up and it had audio. So it was a very like interactive thing, very simple, obviously. But I remember being quite obsessed and sort of and it had a few different presets in terms of how you could kind of what sounds it would make, or maybe even like if it was if you were waving it around versus hitting it on something. I remember being quite obsessed with that toy for, for a long time. That, and I was really young. So maybe that was the first kind of uh, gadget, but you know what else I loved? Tamagotchis. I had multiple Tamagotchis that also, you know, I'm talking about elementary school now, right? Like I do remember, I'm trying to think of anything earlier than that really inspired me. But then I will say in grad school or even actually was undergrad, when I started to get kind of obsessed with building electronics and understanding them, the first thing that I built was a kit from a uh, manufacturer called Moog, M-O-O-G. They are a traditionally known as making synthesizers. Um, I also should mention I was a music major. I was a music composition major in in undergrad, and so you know, music and and audio was such a big part of my life, my entire life. From very young, I started playing instruments, and then I purchased a theremin kit is called the ether wave theremin kit. And it was, you know, I had to solder. I learned how to solder to build this theremin kit. And then I modified the hell out of it and I added LEDs to it and I made it, you know, react. Uh, Do you guys know what a theremin is? Are you familiar with that instrument? Oh, you should, all of your listeners right now should Google theremin. It is the most magical instrument, probably the most famous for uh, sci-fi movies from the sixties. It is an analog electronic instrument that allows you to uh, use both of your hands uh it, it features two antennas and when you move this hand it's amplitude this hand's frequency and it kind of sounds like a spaceship from the 60s it sounds like, Ooh, like this kind of sound i can't believe I just made some on on your podcast but if you look up videos it's an incredible instrument it, like kind of defined electronic music or electronic instruments it was invented in like the 1920s by a russian man I built a theremin, and that was my first kind of electronics adventure. And I just kind of got obsessed with with this idea of circuit boards, electricity, interaction, and and output, input, and output. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. You bring back so many memories. I used, I grew up watching He Man and the Masters of the Universe. Really the corny, universe. Exactly. Uh, For that time, it was awesome. But if you look, if if I go back and look at it now, I think it's like. Corniest and the uh, craziest animation that you can ever find, and I was much older when I actually when I actually saw one of those swords, and I ended up buying one of them just for nostalgia's sake. Oh yeah, uh, and things. So, all right, theremin is on my list for me to go check out, and, uh, yeah. and everyone should Google theremin. Yeah, and I think
0: Clara Rockmore was the most prolific thereminist and she's like you'll you'll cry. You'll it's very emotional music, yeah. They're incredible okay. film footage too. It's all from the 60s. Anyway, go on.
1: Okay, I will. So, bringing us to today, what gadget or technology are you most excited about in your life right now?
0: That's also an excellent question. I got to say I waited in line for the iPhone 3G to uh drop this is like in 2000, I don't know what year that was. This is like and I loved Apple then. And then I became a developer and I started building apps. And then I started hating Apple. As a developer back then, it's gotten much better. They have like completely changed how they treat developers, uh, of, of third party developers, of these. And at that time, I loved them. I then started to hate them. And I used Android exclusively for a decade. And only recently did I buy an iPhone, like very recently, mostly because I was very, very obviously getting judged by the green bubbles, which is. A brilliant move on Apple's part, and so anyway, I, I do. I am quite impressed with iPhone, but that's not what I was going to say. Is uh, what I also bought recently was AirPods, and this is a beautiful piece of technology. And so, in terms of usability, and in terms of design, and in terms of you know, consistency, I've been more impressed with this than than most things in in the last few years.
1: Very cool all right so now let's talk about the company you gave us a history of how the company came about how you were passionate about this and things tell us a little bit about how you went about building the company and how you built, went about building the business
0: so i was working like i said on on r d team for giphy we were building a lot of different experiments uh and then that evolved into a lot of hardware experiments and uh, at a certain point the moment that that this kind of prototype of what became a video print. And I, and I haven't really described what our product is. I'm sure none of your listeners have any idea what infinite objects is. Let me explain what it is really quickly. Infinite objects are physical displays. They are LCD displays that feature one piece of content forever. Meaning you as a consumer, as a customer are not buying a gadget. You're buying a piece of content that is arriving to you in a physical form. Our physical form is really unique in that, uh, I mean, I'll describe it. Obviously, if everyone's listening on audio, you should check out our website. But we have a, a number of different SKUs of different models. Our more popular ones are housed in an acrylic block. They feature no buttons, no switches. There's no configuration or setup. We are preparing the content onto the device permanently before it ships. So when you receive the package and you open the box, it actually turns on in your hands and then begins looping that piece of content, that content could be up to 24 hours long or even longer. But it is only ever playing that content in perpetuity. So for that reason, we call it a video print. It is literally the same as a photograph, a framed photograph, uh, or a framed baseball card, or a framed magazine. Those are the three sizes that we sell but they're moving and they're meant to be always on they're meant to be a part of your home they're part, uh, meant to be a, a part of your space whether it's on your desk or your coffee table or your bookshelf and they are really exciting because of what they can be used for and we'll talk about those use cases which really this the moment that i uh, kind of started identifying this concept of saying hey this is a new way to monetize video this is a new way to collect video The last time we as a society collected video was maybe DVDs 15 years ago. Since then, you've never purchased a video and held a video or had a collection of videos. And so our product is very much a design object, again, uh, representing one piece of content. Back in, you know, rewinding back to uh, 2017, 2018, I started to kind of identify the use cases for this and thinking about why this could be a really valuable idea. It certainly is a unique idea. Telling someone, here's a display. No, you can never change what is on it. It's already a bizarre concept. But the idea of building value from that idea and saying, this is editioned, it is signed by the artist, it's customized in a million different ways, it is, uh, again, limited edition and, and rare, and has its own provenance, right? That idea of provenance was, was a big uh, part from the very beginning. And so, you know, with those kinds of ideas, I started identifying audiences, the first one being art, the second one being user-generated content, This is the ability to print your own video of your child's first steps or your graduation or your wedding or your dog. My dog is right down here. Or like TikTok. We have so many people that want to celebrate a TikTok that they're proud of that maybe it went viral uh, or maybe they want to gift a TikTok to someone. Uh, Our product allows you to do that. Uh, The third category is entertainment, media, film and TV, even thinking about our product as a marketing tool for promoting content or promoting various things, including music. We work with a lot of music partners, which is funny because our product does not have any audio. And that's very much a design decision that I made. I guess we can talk about some of those design principles later. But we've kept those same design principles since literally day zero uh, when when I was first prototyping. In terms of building the company, uh, yeah, the founder of Giphy, who is now on my board, as well as my partner at that uh, product studio, were like, this is worth doing. This is worth, this should be its own thing. And so at that moment, founded the company officially, I think it was spring of 2018. Raised a tiny amount of money just to figure it out to, you know, really solidify the user experience and and figure out what supply chain looks like and how the, the, all the design for manufacture, all the industrial design in general. And then in 2019, I raised a pre-seed round and with that built a team that summer and launched by the end of 2019 with art, with a a collection of curated art pieces. And uh, yeah, that's how we started. That was the, the initial timeline.
1: That's awesome. Amazing piece of my own history is that I lived in Connecticut and the New York area for close to 20 years. So I'm very familiar with that area. Uh, let me go into next trying to explore the design principles you were talking about right so what were some of the design principles obviously as you were explaining it i was going wow there was some there's some incredible simplicity that you bring by making these design decisions and things just by eliminating things that customers may or may not use etc so tell us a little bit about your design principles and how you went about operationalizing that
0: yeah um I, so here's the thing this I don't, uh, all of my units are in another apartment. They're not here. <laughs> so okay. I, I have one unit in my hand, but it—it it, it, I don't have the cable for it. But this is not a video podcast, so no one can see it. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. I, I, if I'm you want, you can, des- you can explaining. describe
1: what you, yeah, you can describe what you have.
0: I think I have to, right? Yeah, I have yeah. To. Uh, So this is our smallest SKU. It has a protective layer, so there's like a, a sticker here. But um, it is an acrylic block with an LCD display housed inside of it. On the backside, we have a customizable back art layer that becomes a certificate of authenticity. Because this product will only ever show one piece of content, we can describe that content here. Whether that is the creator's name, the artist's name, we've literally had artists hand sign, hand number their units. In this case, it's a promotion for an event event. For NFT NYC like probably two years ago. And this one features a QR code that is unique to this device. And I'll explain why that's very exciting when we, when we jump into the web three conversation, because NFTs really uh, became a big part of our company. But this acrylic slab here is really unique in that there is no interface. There is literally not a single button or switch. And if it was powered and I removed it from the box, it would just turn on magically in my hands. The battery that it has is uh, not very large. It lasts for about two hours. It's not meant to be something that you take around with you. This is not supposed to go into your jacket or or, or you know, leave your, your home or your office or wherever. I included the battery specifically for that magical moment, that surprise moment. And that's a really, really unique element, obviously to the product and it certainly is why people will post their unboxings and and it kind of becomes its own marketing flywheel, just that very surprising and and magical moment. And our customers love to literally compare it to Harry Potter, which I, I absolutely love. In terms of the actual design, it is incredibly minimalist. I literally wanted this to feel like a framed photograph that moves. The reason why the acrylic was so successful, and we do have bamboo, we have a a number of bamboo lines as well, but the acrylic is so successful because it really makes it feel valuable. It really elevates the content. And that is the entire thesis of the product is to say video is valuable. Video can be valuable and uh, making it in a single purpose device that has very, very minimalist design, but feels very modern and to be frank, expensive is really, really exciting when you know video as a content type is generally treated like water, right? Because it's just online, everything online is free. You're just looking at content. So those design principles around the minimalism, around the simplicity of the user experience, the fact that you can't change it, you can't update it, you can't really do anything with it other than plug it in, right? It is meant to be always plugged in. It's meant to be a part of your space. And so the cable is a MagSafe style cable it's actually like a, a magnetic cloth cable, so it doesn't feel like a gadget, because that is uh, critical, that this doesn't feel like technology. This is meant to feel like a design object. On the other side, it is a USB. It is a USB cable with a, a MagSafe uh,
1: adapter here.
0: So, yeah, those are, those are the core principles, and we've stuck with those literally since day zero. Since day negative 100, it's been exactly the same.
1: So, for the listener, what Joe was holding up uh, was an infinite object, that looks very much like a picture frame, a very nice fancy picture frame that has videos playing on it or a video playing on it. And I can see the reference to Harry Potter, because if you remember the movie, all of those moving people in the portrait frames and things, that's what that reminds you of. So that's a great reference. Thank you for explaining that, Joe. And thank you for helping us understand how you built the company and what your design principles were. As you go through the journey of building any new product, obviously, you go through a phase of validation with the users and getting feedback from them and modifying your designs or your thoughts, et cetera. well, give us some good examples because a lot of the, uh, our listener is typically ones who are creating other gadgets or uh, they're creating their own gadgets, etc. Et so what guidance would you have there for them?
0: So what I did very, very early on was interview users of existing digital photo frames, right? Because the idea of a display that is meant to be showing personal content, that's not new right? The idea of a display that is meant to be showing art, that's not new either, right? These exist, but all of them have a few things in common. One of them that they all have in common is they are meant to be a utilitarian device, right? So, I mean, you know, you can think of uh, the Mural. I, I don't know if you know that product. Uh, it got purchased by Netgear, but it's, just a, it's, a, it's a Samsung uh, LCD that has a computer in the back. You purchase it, you connect, you have to install an app, you have to log into the app. You have to connect it to your Wi-Fi. And then you start streaming content to the thing, right? You, They have, you know, depending on the product, some of them will have their own galleries that you can scroll through. Some of them have subscription services where you just access art. And honestly, you know, in the last two years, the most my favorite display is the Samsung frame. Samsung made this beautiful line of, of LCD TVs called the Samsung frame. They have an art mode. And they have a whole gallery that you could swap out the art. And I mean, a lot of these startups that are trying to build these connected TVs that are for NFTs or for art, it's they're competing with Samsung frame. And I mean, none of them are going to beat the price point or, or whatever, but good luck to them. The f- existing photo frames back in 2016, and they still exist. this. You go to Amazon, you type in digital photo frame, you're going to see hundreds, right? Hundreds. And they are built again for, oh, you can like create a slideshow. Right. And it's slideshows are great, but that's very antithetical to my vision here, which is content itself is valuable. The idea of swiping through a slideshow is the same as swiping through it on Instagram. Right. There's no, there's no difference. you're not celebrating the content. Yeah. I mean, you're creating a nice little thing and, and that might be perfect for what you're looking for. But this conceptually is just completely different. Regardless to kind of answering your question, is, I interviewed so many users of those products. And I was like, tell me, you know, why did you buy it? How do you use it? What does it mean to you today? And it was surreal how many of them said, that it, it was like one of three scenarios. One of them, I downloaded the thing, I configured the thing, I got something I liked on it. And then I forgot the password to the app and have never bothered to change it because I like what's on it, right? Especially that was with the art display of people. With the personal display, people they would say, "I bought this for my mom. She couldn't figure it out, so I had to. She had to wait until I got to her house, and I set it up for her. And then it requested a firmware update, and it she just ended up putting it in the closet, and then now it's just sitting in the closet. So there was obvious opportunities both in user experience." as well as in terms of the context in which it's it's being presented, right? Like if it's an art frame, then you're expected to like bring your own taste or have a collection or it, it it's, these audiences are very, very different, right? Is kind of what I'm getting at. But in the end, none of them were saying things like, it's so easy to use. I use it every day. I'm like touching it. I'm like updating it. I, no one said that. Zero out of probably 60 people reported that, yeah, having an app and having it connected to Wi-Fi and all these bells and whistles actually were creating a, you know, a usable or more compelling experience. And so that just helped validate my concept, or at least at that moment in my head, I was like, this idea of saying single purpose device, single piece of content, scarcity, rarity, value, all of a sudden, I felt a lot more confident in in testing it out or going to production, I guess, at least pre-production. That was very early
1: on, obviously. awesome. Awesome. Where are you at now with the company? What's exciting for you in the next several months of what you're looking to do with the product?
0: Well, I'll say I have to add, like, you know, one huge part of our, our business became NFTs. And that's because right after we launched, we were started pitching artists. We are like, hey, artists, you've got hundreds of thousands of followers. You're posting art every day or every week, but you don't have a way to monetize that. You're just posting it, getting lots of likes, building your audience. But the idea of selling a video doesn't exist. That's not a thing that you can do, and so we were had that you know picture. Like here's a new way to connect with your audience, a new way to monetize your work, right? Specifically, video artists and digital video artists. And um, one of those artists that uh, that I had been following for quite a while was named Beeple. And Beeple, if anyone is familiar with the kind of Web3 space, has become the, I don't know, second highest selling artist of all time. He has done multiple record-breaking art sales. I think he did like a $70 million Christie's auction in 2021. He has kind of become the face of NFT artists just because uh, he's been so, so successful. But we were very lucky in that we had already started a relationship with him well before he started NFTs. And so that really, you know, him being this kind of first blue chip NFT artist to really start breaking records and getting articles written. We were right alongside him because we collaborated with him on his second and third and fourth NFT drops where every single token came with an infinite object. And so that's really propelled us into the space And really made us start thinking about the connection between physical and digital beyond just you are looking at a file. The idea of blockchain backing up that file and creating provenance for the digital side, the object being a physical replica of a specific blockchain-backed asset... Has become just a really exciting place that we started building architecture and pipelines and back end to support. We now have multiple authentication methods. If you own an NFT, you can authenticate your ownership and purchase a authenticated NFT video print from us in a lot of different contexts and a lot of different projects and multiple blockchains. So we really spent a lot of time creating these kind of pipelines and opportunities uh, and and really what are becoming sales channels for uh, collectors of of nfts whether that is art or whether that is you know a community there's a lot of exciting things inside of what's happening in web3 and it goes well beyond the visual well well beyond the visual we we are building there last thing i'll mention on that front are you familiar with nba top shot nba top shot is um the official nba nft collection where you can buy an addition to highlight this was our first nft nft uh, integration i should say not a few project. This is might be exciting for anyone who enjoys basketball. I'm a big basketball fan. You guys like basketball?
1: I do, but not probably not as much as you do.
0: Cool. So yeah, that's that's a huge part of our company and a big part of our technology that we've built. And, and uh, it's exciting to think about the connection between physical and digital and how provenance can bridge the, uh, both of those. The idea of ownership was always a part of my pitch, right? And always a part of the essence of Infinite Objects. You're buying a video, you're buying an additioned video. And so blockchain, same exact parallel, they're obviously using cryptographic technology to to execute the same. Ours is a lot more understandable. It says one out of 10 on the back. So,
1: yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. I wanted to explore the business and the journey you've gone through in the business a little bit. Obviously, you've been around for a while. So you've also gone through the COVID times and now you're going through some some amazing turmoil in our macroeconomic situation how has the business been doing through all of that and what if anything would your suggestions be on how to weather these storms as you go through those
0: yeah we launched at the end of 2019 2020 we were you know no one knew who we were we had very few collaborations everything was brand new you know, you're no one and we saw, I guess what we expected to be, you know, decent decent amount of, of kind of revenue and sales. And then obviously there was a shutdown in twenty twenty. That was crazy. You know, we had our tiny little office in the lower east side in New York at the time and and we were, I don't know, a six person team that summer in twenty twenty. I think two people would go into the office at a time to just do fulfillment and then leave. And um yeah, that was nuts. I don't think that that I hope that that doesn't happen again. Um, But the following year was incredible. The following year was incredible for us for a number of reasons. I think, you know, obviously the economy was booming in 2021. People were just spending both on the consumer side as well as the corporate side. Everyone was bullish on everything. There was, you know, checks from the government just throwing everyone free money. I think a lot of those things contributed to the the kind of sentiment uh, from the consumer as well as uh, corporate sentiment was very positive. And so we reaped the benefits. We grew 500% year over year, something like this. And it was amazing. And we grew the team. I raised money in, again in 2021. It was a, a beautiful time and, and everything was up and to the right. You know, it was, it was beautiful. Early 2022, Q1, 2022, same thing. It, it still felt exactly the same. Q1, 2022 was growing by Q2, 2022. We had now grown to about 20, uh, 21 people, something like this. And we were spending a lot of money. And so, you know, everyone was like all of my investors and my board were like, Hey, this is the time to raise, like, go out, go, go do a series a now do a series a. And the seed was so easy because 2021 was so powerful. And investor sentiment was also so powerful. 2022, not the case. What happened was I started having conversations around, okay, you know, we're burning a lot, but we're also growing a lot. Like, let's go, let's add some more fuel here. And then I don't know if you remember Luna, the Luna Terra and Celsius. This was a big blockchain crash that happened in one company. This pre FTX is like four months before FTX, five months. Before. Then the summer the stock market started to slump. And then I remember in June, people started talking about a recession and immediately we saw the effects on our sales. And that was, you know, I I also haven't clarified our business uh, in terms of revenue is almost split, at least historically, split between B2B and direct-to-consumer. The B2B side is, you know, companies purchasing bulk orders. These are partners like YouTube, who has made several purchases a lot of nft projects and a lot of nft platforms just purchasing in bulk as a reward as a present sometimes to resell but usually as a promotional tool or as a incentive uh, or as a reward and a lot of corporations and we've done a lot of different you know movie studio press packs this type of thing and so b2b historically had been 50% of our total revenue And what we discovered was, what happened was that everyone started spending less. Everyone was slashing budgets. All of a sudden, everyone wanted to negotiate on pricing. No one was negotiating on pricing in 2021. They were super happy with like the invoice I would send them and they would fill it immediately. 2022, ev- all the deal flow was far far slower. Everything took much longer to close. When we were talking about the corporate sales and, and the B2B, and then the direct to consumer side, like you know, just less people shopping online. Obviously, the world is now wide open, so people aren't sitting at home shopping on their laptops anymore. And so, yeah, we we saw it, and and to be honest, yeah, we we very much plateaued. And that plateau, you know, we're still at that kind of plateau level. There's a billion good signals. And, and the way we've reacted, I'm going to tell you about in terms of product and strategy. But the kind of sentiment from a consumer and the sentiment from the, the more commercial partners, it's, it's not good. We're not in a good spot. So what we did was identify a few different opportunities. One of them is sales channels. All of our direct consumer up until three, four months ago was entirely to our website. Bringing people to your website and convincing them, educating them about your product and convincing them to add to cart on your website is very expensive, right? Not only do you have to get to their eyes, you know, usually through paid marketing, you, then they click on that ad or they click on whatever that is, and then they land on your page. And then you have to get them to actually put in their credit card and check out. Very, very difficult. What we have developed is an API. And this is an API that allows anyone to embed and to offer infinite objects on their website with their content and so what that means is they can create what's called the print button widget the print button widget is just a couple lines of javascript obviously we have to work with them to create their api key and and their partner id etc they get to choose the price points that they're selling it at and also what sizes they offer but then they can embed this anywhere on their website and they can update the content dynamically So this is exciting, sure, for these NFT marketplaces and and kind of art uh, uh, things, but it's also exciting for someone like TikTok to literally embed a share button that then lets you preview an infinite object and order a video print right in that context. So it can be in an app, it can be on a website, it could be in a video game. We're talking to all three of those types of partners, like uh, every day these days, uh, uh, working on implementations. We've gone live on several uh, uh, platforms, but most of them are in the Web3 space uh, thus far. But it's designed to take any video that you host and allow you to to physicalize it directly in that context. So now it's not us trying to bring people to us. We're going to them. They have their own communities. They have their own daily active users. Their users are like, What's this? I can print this video that I'm looking at, that I whatever context I'm looking at it in. And so that's that's a huge one. Uh, opening up other sales channels too, you know, like Amazon. Which typically doesn't make too much sense for us, but we're, we're doing a lot of work in, in exploring how we can bring things there. And so, yeah, the, between sales channels and this, this kind of technology to literally turn the entire Internet into a sales channel is the strategy that's really exciting right now for, for our, in terms of business and growth and, and really addressing the slowdown because it is a palpable one.
1: That's a great way to actually expand your addressable market and, and get more customers to yep. your site and or not even come to your yep. site, but still be your customers. Cool. Thank you, Joe. That That was a really fascinating description of your personal journey of infinite objects, as well as the business conditions right now and how you're dealing with that and what you're doing about that. So... I'm a consumer out there, and I'm uh, very intrigued by what Infinite Objects has to offer. Where would I go to find some products, and where would I go to reach you, potentially, if I needed to?
0: You can find me on Twitter. It's J-M-S-A-A-V-E-D-R-A, Joseph Vedra. And uh, Infinite Objects, we're at Infinite Objects on every platform. Infiniteobjects.com is the website. I will get you guys a 10% discount code for your listeners, so you can find that in the the description. I'll, I'll throw that over to you guys to throw in there. And uh, yeah, you can reach out anytime. We've got lots of ways to partner. If you are a brand who is celebrating a new launch or you're promoting a campaign, we love partnering with all sorts of brands and, and really bringing a really unique item to either internally promote stuff, right? A lot of corporate gifting, honestly, is a really exciting thing. This is a really unique product. But then when you're thinking about how do we show off Uh, Publicly, whether that's at an event or whether that's in your store, or whether that's uh, even thanking your partners for, uh, you know, a successful launch or collaboration. You know, we we work uh, in a lot of different ways and can customize and really just run the gamut when it comes to celebrating video content.
1: Great. Thank you. And that's infiniteobjects.com. And he said it, you can get a 10% discount if you go through us and go through the podcast. Joe, thank you very much. This has been an amazing uh, discussion.
0: appreciate the time guys, like really, this is really cool.
1: This is There's a Device for That and you can get a new episode every Tuesday. Please be sure to subscribe. There's a Device for That is brought to you by Esper, the industry's first and leading DevOps platform for device fleets. If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out. Go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev, at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V. Thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.